out and pass them down. Uh, update contact information if you have it. There are little boxes that you can check to indicate interest in different things. There are also prayer cards behind the, the uh, sign-in sheets. So if there's something that you would like prayer for this week, fill that out, uh, write it on that card, and then you can hand it to one of the pastors, or you can drop it in the box on the back table, which is where if you've come prepared to worship this morning, you'll notice we don't pass a plate or a bag, but uh, we do believe that giving is an important part of our worship. Our God is generous. We want to be generous in return, and so if you've come prepared to drop something in the offering box, it is back on that back table. Hopefully, too, you uh, were handed or, or grabbed a monthly update. Some of you just have them in your Bibles. Pull that out, just a couple things to highlight. A reminder, I've, I've said it for the last month, the baptism is tonight, 6.30 to 8.30 at Sotard Aquatic Center. That is the pool at Johnson and Plum, right by the Civic Center there. It's like our all-church baptism uh, together, and it's really a fun time. We've got several students, kids being baptized tonight from our campus, so I do encourage you to come on out. There's dessert afterwards, a really good time together as a whole church body. And then secondly, uh, next Sunday, the 27th, 530 to 730, is our community group leaders huddle. So if you're if you're a group leader, please uh, plan to be there. If you haven't RSVP'd, do so. I'm ordering Jack's back this week, so that's, that's sort of a plug. You want to be there for that. Uh, and, but let me know so we can get the right amount of food. That's really it that I want to highlight. There are other things uh, happening in the life of our church. Do look those up uh, in this monthly update. But go ahead and stand now. We're going to continue to worship through the reading of God's word as Daniel comes up uh, and reads for us from Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, thank you, Daniel, and uh, good morning um, to y'all. Daniel is actually one of the ones who's getting baptized um, this afternoon. So just to echo uh, Andrew's invitation, um, if you can make it tonight to encourage those who are getting baptized, we'd love to, love to see you there um, with us. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Tim, I'm one of the pastors here, uh, glad to have you with us um, this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn it to Genesis 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have them on the back uh, table there. And if you're a kid and you didn't grab one of our Kids Connect coming in or uh, a family bag, feel free to get up and grab one of those um, uh, now. Um, and this, this morning we're starting a, a new series, and one of the things we wonder about with this series is um, it might spark questions, or uh, I think one of the limitations to a sermon is always it's, it's one person who gets to talk and you don't get to talk back, uh, which is very good for me, um, but maybe not for you. Uh, but what we want to do is uh, um, provide a, a question, uh, an answer opportunity. Um, kind of Mondays, we're going to do a Facebook Live um, deal. And so if you have questions uh, that you want answered that, that get raised through the course of the sermon, um, write down that number. You can text those questions in, and then we're going to kind of compile them and try to answer as many as we can on a Facebook Live uh, setting with a couple pastors um, each week. And then we'll we'll upload that video to our, video to our, our Facebook page as well. So if you... You know, if you're doing something else at 3.15 tomorrow, like watch the, the sun, like, disappear or something, um, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can check that out um, later. And with that, as we start a new series, let me pray, ask for, for God's help, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father God, would you, would you teach us your path? Would you lead us into your righteousness? Help us walk into the way that you would have us, have us live. So we need, to, we need to know you, we need you to reveal yourself to us. And so I pray 
Now, through your word, you speak to us as your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. At one point in my life, I was convinced that unless I had a pair of Oakley sunglasses, I was not complete. There were many reasons uh, that I felt this way. Uh, one of them was um, um, I, play, I played golf competitively growing up. And this might surprise you, but golf is a sport primarily played by extremely wealthy people, um, which meant the people I was playing with had lots of things. And, and even though uh, by no means was I poor growing up, um, people that I played with had lots of things that I did not have, and I wanted what they had, and they had sunglasses. And so I worked hard. I saved up money and bought my Oakleys. And for a couple years, we had a special relationship together. Uh, I looked good in them. I looked really good in them. Um, and then, uh, like, like most things that come into my life, uh, I lost them and didn't know where they went. And, and I was crushed because I knew there's no way I could justify spending that much money on sunglasses twice, especially with the, li- lo- the likelihood that the second pair would also eventually be lost. And so fast forward 11 years after I lost my sunglasses. I was moving from Indianapolis to the Chicago area. Um, and as I was going through all my stuff there in an old athletic ba- bag, Sitting by themselves for 11 years, hidden from sight, were my sunglasses. And I looked at them, uh, I held them in my hand, and just looked at them and thought to myself, what were you thinking? These are terrible. Like, these look awful. Um, But but most of all, I I just felt embarrassed because I, I felt them. Someone had sold me a story, and I had bought it. And that's a, a shallow example, certainly, but imagine I, I made a major decision on my life based on a story that someone was trying to sell me, or that I spent thousands of dollars on someone, or that I, I spent a relationship that was meaningful to me because someone had sold me a false story on which to live. Because listen, the reality is there are people right now who are spending billions of dollars trying to sell you stories. To convince you a car will give you what you're missing, that these certain clothes will make you attractive, that this toy will make you happy, or that this brand will make you appealing. So what story are you listening to? Is it true? Or is someone selling it to you? Is the controlling story of your life up for the highest bidder? And if you're a Christian, are, are your assumptions about the story in which you're living, are they rooted in the gospel story? Or have cultural stories, cultural assumptions about the world in which you live, have they more shaped your day-to-day life than the gospel story? Or if you're, if you're someone who does not believe in God, do you know the story in which you're living? Is it, are you living it out consistently? Have you, have you ever considered that another story might give a better explanation for the life in which you live? And thousands of years ago, a man named Moses saw that the people around him were facing similar pressure in their own day, to be shaped more by the cultural stories of their day and what was around them than by the God who had saved them. They weren't buying sunglasses as a means of life fulfillment, but they had the same struggles, the same questions. And so because of this, Moses sat down to write for them the true story, a story worth living out all the way And the first thing that he did was sit down and write an account of creation, why you and I are here. Which is a brilliant move, because how you think we came to exist, why you think we are here, 
will probably be the most important parts of the story in which you think you're in. It will affect all of your decisions, from the smallest things you do to the largest decisions you have to make. And so what we want to do as a church is take the next seven weeks looking at this story that Moses had told uh, the people of God uh, in Genesis 1 and 3 about why, they're, why they were here, why, why we exist. Let that story shape us. But what we want to do is kind of look at that story through the lens of various cultural stories that we're being sold and taught constantly. So we're going to look at seven kind of cultural uh, stories that we are told through the lens of Genesis 1 through 3 for the next seven weeks. And so the first story our culture is selling us for this morning, you only live once. Hashtag YOLO. And before you roll your eyes at that, we find this compelling. And I actually think there's a good reason why we find this compelling. That's where I want to I want to start. Like this the story we're told, we're sold, you only live once. It's there's actually truth to it because first, it sees the goodness of this world. And here's what I, I mean by this. This, this phrase, uh, you only live once, if you go and do the historical research on this page, which I, I did, um, in 2011, that the, is the first time we see this phrase being used in a song called The Motto by Drake. And just to be clear, this is a terrible song. I'm not recommending you go and listen to it, that we endorse the motto as Christ's community, that we do not endorse the motto as Christ's community. But what Drake does is he uses that phrase, it's kind of a summary of the song, which the song is about a life of pursuing pleasure. For him, it's about uh, abusing alcohol and using women. Um, but this idea that we have one life, so live it up, is a story our culture is, is selling to us. And the story that, that we're being sold, you only live once, is, is at its root, is, is saying the natural world is all there is. And therefore, you need to grab all the happiness that you can, because once you die, it's all over, and that's it. The only meaning you can find in life is in this, this material creation. And this may surprise you, but this actually gets half of Genesis 1 right. Now look with me again at Genesis 1, verse, verse 2. And Moses wrote, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now the first sentence in verse 2, what, what Moses is saying is that the, wor- the earth, um, so God creates matter out of nothing, but once he's created the matter, um, everything is, is sort of chaotic and uninhabitable and, and, and not really ripe for human living. So it's, sort of a, it's a bad place to live, essentially. And then the second uh, sentence uh, in, in verse 2 is that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the image is of a, of a bird uh, hovering over her nest, over her young, um, to keep watch over them. And so then what, what God does through the rest of verses 3 through 28 is, is he takes this uninhabitable, chaotic creation and he makes, he makes goodness and meaning out of it. And so you have this refrain all through Genesis 1. God makes, makes these things and he saw that it was good. And he filled creation with, with the sun and the moon and the stars and animals and water and vegetation and human beings. And God looks at all of it and says, this is good. And so what Moses is saying about Genesis 1 is that God, God takes an, an uninhabitable, meaningless, chaotic creation and, and designs it specifically for goodness and meaning. The human life then is inherently packed with rich meaning. And there's amazing good in creation for you and I to experience. Now think this out with me. Why do we we take so much joy from just just eating or drinking? Moses says it's because God took 
an uninhabitable creation and intentionally designed it for what it could do, which is make us so why does, why does the sunset stir? It's not just because God made light. No, he made a sun and a moon and stars and, and a ro- earth's rotation and creates these colors and beauty. Now, why is, why is baseball not just baseball? But baseball is even filled with goodness and meaning. That when the Cubs won the World Series last year, people went to Wrigley Field and, and wrote the names of friends and family members who had died and never, never had seen the Cubs win the World Series, they wrote their names on the wall in memory of them. Why? Because this is not just a world we get by until we die. It's a world filled with goodness and relationships and beauty and meaning. And that's why if, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, listen, I have, I have rich meaning in life. I don't need a God to find meaning in life. Genesis 1 is actually explaining why that's true. You're, you live in a world specifically designed to give you rich and beauty, uh, rich, rich meaning and, and beauty to experience all around. And if you are a Christian, this should be a warning to us that we might, may find such rich meaning and goodness in, in this world that one day you may find that God is no longer the place from which you're getting the meaning or the direction of your story. God's no, no longer the one who's telling your story, but you're only look, looking at a creation with material goods and material pleasures. And that's where you're finding your deeper sense of joy and, and meaning. Where we begin to, to thank God for the goodness with which we experience. We begin to go through our day without an awareness of what God is doing. And, and that this world is God that he has spoken into existence. But you only live once. There's a reason that's become a cultural motto for us. And Genesis 1 explains why. There is so much meaning and goodness packed into this world. You could live through it and still not keep putting it. And yet there's also a reason we roll our eyes. Generally, uh, yellows a, as an apology do something really stupid. Um, and, and yet, it, even though it sees the goodness, lower capital, uh, uh, lowercase g of this world, it misses the goodness, capital G, of this world. Now this motto, you only live once, it has an assumption about, about creation, that the material world is all there is. And therefore, your primary uh, meaning in life can only be driven from what, what you see, what you can touch or, or feel. And so the story that then our, our culture has begun to tell about creation itself, whether it's in school, in a movie, in song, it has one unified voice and one unified theme, which is that there is, there is no God who created us. And I want to be clear, this is not a sermon on, on evolution. Um, but one thing I, I will say is that if, if you think that believing in evolution um, means that you cannot believe in God, I think that's a wrong assumption. And there are many Christians who think very differently on that and have written very expressively um, and intelligently on that question. And, and yet I would say there is a strand of evolution that says, um, that's probably most prominent within our culture, that says we don't need God to explain any of life. You can explain all of life, all of the world, without a God. No God put us here. There's no God in creation. And, and I think the logical outworking of that creation story is you only live once. That if I'm alive only because of chance, only because of random mutations through millions of years, if that's why I exist, then the, the natural outflow of that story is to trace the motto. Get all the pleasure and meaning in life you can now, because once you die, it's gone. But I think, I think there are two primary problems with this line of thinking. First, I think a creation story without God has, has logical limits. And here's what I mean. I, I think oftentimes if... If you try to live into a story where there's no God, you actually, 
I think at times we unconsciously step out of that story and step into a story where there is a God to make the meaning and to make the experiences of life and faith clear. And I realize it's a huge claim. Let me, uh, let me prove it through the Chicago Cubs. Um, so for, uh, for example, every person who went and wrote a loved one's name on Wrigley Field's wall was, I think, at that point, stepping into a story where there is a God, where there is goodness and meaning, where human relationships are not meant to be short time span on earth. They're meant to, to persist beyond death itself. And that's what they were doing and practicing on that wall. And I think the question for us is what story best explains why baseball would make someone go and write a dead loved one's name on a wall? What story best explains that? A creation with no God where our, our best ex- understandings of, of love is, is that they're neurological feelings we have, or neurological sensations we experience which is love, our brain chemistry sort of functions in a certain way that causes us to have these feelings. But doesn't it just just feel like more love is missing? Like actually there's something meaningful in remembering and longing to be united with someone who's died. Then might that handwriting on Wrigley Field Wall point us to something deeper than that that goes all the way back to Genesis 1. It says we are connected to an eternal God who created us for eternity, who created us for relationship and meaning and beauty that was not meant to end with death. And I could be wrong, um, but I think the people who wrote those names on Wrigley Field's wall were stepping into a story where there is a God. There's logical limitations, I think, to a creation story with no God. I think there are times you have to step out of that story to make best sense of the world. But the second... um, the second thing I would say is that a creation story without God is ultimately unfulfilling. And I, I don't just mean that as a Christian. I actually mean I, atheists point this out from time to time. So in, in, in 2016, um, one of the most critically and best-selling albums uh, uh, was Bonnie Bear's 23 Again. And lead singer and songwriter Justin Vernon, he's an atheist himself, um, but the album is filled with a struggle to live out a life where there is no God and to live it consistently. So one song um, entitled Over Soon, where he's wrestling with his own mortality, his own death, that he might d- die soon, it might be over soon, exactly how it sounds he's wrestling with that is this world all there is what is it is there anything is there anything else and so here here is lyrics uh from that song it might be over soon where are you going to look for confirmation and if it's ever going to happen so i'm standing at the station it might be over soon there i find you marked in constellations there isn't ceiling in our garden and then i draw near on you so i can see This line, there isn't ceiling in our garden, is, is stated with intent. So what he's saying is, is we live in a garden, we live in a world that, that we're told there is no God, there's a ceiling. And he, he as an atheist is singing that out and saying, it doesn't feel like there's a ceiling in our garden. It doesn't feel like this world is all there is. And so even though it feels like I'm speaking into silence, I don't know what's there beyond the garden, but it feels like the ceiling is there. That this garden we live in, this world we live in, it constellations that we look up to, um, it, it feels like there isn't a ceiling. It feels like this world is not all that there is. And it, it, it may feel like we are speaking into silence, and yet we speak. And we speak because deep down within us, even Justin Vernon, who's, who's not believing God, sees the, the story of a creation with God as a story worth living out, a story where there is a God. It's our, our cultural motto, you only live once. It, 
This world is all there is. There's a lot of times you're trying to live that out. You have to step out. The wall of Wrigley Field or the Bonnie Bear concert. And there are hundreds of other examples in, in movies and songs and conversations with others where it seems that the garden in which we live has no end. That you only live once. It, it, it does see the goodness of this world, but it misses Genesis 1-1, where everything starts in the beginning God and that's the story worth living you never have to step out of a Disney park to make sense of everything you see around you and so when Moses sat down to write Genesis 1 through 3 he was he was doing a lot of things but he was he was summarized everything he was trying to tell the people of God really in the first verse I mean if you get if you believe Genesis 1-1 and you live that out you get the rest of the Bible so in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Hey, Christians, do you believe that's true? I mean, I know you're supposed to believe that. That's true. Like, I hope, like, theoretically you agree that that's true. I mean, do you believe that with everything in you? Is that the story out of which every decision you make operates? Or is, is this world selling you this story? You only live once. This world is all there is. So grab it, pleasure all you can. Do you believe that story, or do you believe Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God. Because if you're going to step out of, of this cultural story that's being sold to you repeatedly again and again and again, if you're going to step into Genesis 1, into the gospel story, if you're going to counteract this narrative we're being told consistent, consistently, there's a couple thoughts I want to give about what you and I need to do to, to believe Genesis 1. Two thoughts. First, step into a world with no fear. Especially tomorrow, go out and watch the eclipse. I mean, maybe it's just a sun and a moon. Um, a moon which traveling is traveling 2,300 miles an hour. And the earth, which is, is spinning while it's traveling 1,000 miles an hour. Have you ever thought about that? We're on a big rock that's going 1,000 miles an hour around the sun while we're spinning at the same time. Don't think about that too hard. It'll make you sick. Um, but these three things, the sun, the moon, and the earth, maybe just, maybe just, like, it just happens that they're going to line up perfectly for an amazing event. Or maybe Genesis 1 is true, and God didn't just make light and darkness, but he made a sun, a moon, and an earth, and he has a say in every one of them. Step into a world with no fear. Because the cultural stories we're, we're going to look at over the next seven weeks, this idea you only live once, it's not, it's not an idea that people try to give to you. They're ways of seeing the world. And a big reason why often I, I can't, I believe we can't see a world where, where God is, is living and active is because we're told so often in so many ways, there is no God, there is no creator, you only live once. And so whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, our culture is trying to, to push you in the direction of living in a world where there is, there is a ceiling, where there's a limitation. And what I, I want to call you to do, whether you believe in God or not, whether you, you, you as a Christian fully assent to Genesis 1, uh, 1 or, or not, step into that world. Because stepping into the Genesis 1 world, it's, it's a bit like a, a, an illustration I heard Eugene Peterson um, give. That Eugene Peterson tells a story, which is actually from the theologian Karl Barth. He says, imagine a group of people living in a huge warehouse. They were born in it, grew up in it, having everything they need. And there are no exits to the building, but there are windows. But the windows are thick with dust, never cleaned, so no one ever looks in them. Why would they? The warehouse is everything they know, everything they need. But 
one day a child drags a step stool underneath a window, scrapes off the ground, and goes back in. When she sees people are walking in the street, she calls to her friends in the neighborhood. They crowd around the window, and they never, they look at a world they never knew existed outside of the window. What would happen then if one of those, those days, one of the children cut a hole into the warehouse and stepped out into the universe, the sky, uh, the universe that was there, the world they had never walked into, and they saw the sky above them, the the grand sunset beyond. That's the difference between the the world our culture sells and the world of Genesis 1 and 1 and 2. When you step into Genesis 1 world, a new world is opened to you. You step into a world of new significance. So Christians, maybe the way for you to do that this week, uh, set an alarm on your phone. Sometime this week, let let the alarm go off and let that moment be be a reminder. I live in a Genesis one world. Let it wake you up. Let it, let it remind you that everything you see around you is, has been spoken into existence by God. Every person, every tree, every animal. Pause in that moment and thank him for what he's given you. A world with goodness in it. So step into a world with no ceiling first. But second, taste the good that's all around you. Right? God creates the world. He puts humanity in the garden. And then after all of this happens, because um, I think God gets a bad rap often in Genesis 1 and 2. Like, like God doesn't want us to have joy or pleasure or, or, or goodness. Um, but look, look at kind of the summary statement Moses gives after God creates human beings and puts them in the garden. Here's what he says. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, the trees are just a metaphor here. But what Moses is saying is when God finishes this garden, everywhere to, everywhere to look is pleasure and goodness. Things to eat, pleasure to experience. That's the world in which God has made you and I to live in. He's made you to experience this goodness in this world as a means of pointing back to himself. That every day of your life is filled with rich meaning. Every conversation that you have, every every food that you taste, drink that you, you drink, all of those things are pointing beyond themselves to God has put you in this garden to experience that goodness. And if Genesis 1 is true, it, it, it's meant you're never meant to stop at the conversation, at the drink, at the food, at the experience. You were never meant to stop there. You were always meant to go beyond those things and to look to a creator God who gave you goodness. That the real trouble with our cultural model, you only live once, is that it often turns into what Drake sings about in the motto, selfish pleasure at the expense of others, settling for drink or shallow sex or pleasure without understanding why. C.S. Lewis, he saw this trend in us, this trend to live in the warehouse and be content with the pleasures that we have there, that we settle for far less than what a Genesis 1 world offers us. And so he wrote this. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong or too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too eagerly satisfied. Now my translation on Lewis for this morning would be, would be so if you find, if you find that this, there's so much meaning in this life, you don't need to look beyond this life to a God. He's saying you, you're too easily pleased. There's more. There's more to be found. And so this week, taste Taste the good, the good that God has, has offered you. 
watch the moon cover the sun, and be in awe that someone made both of those things and then lined them up just for you to experience and learn here. And remember that in the story of the Bible, the story of Genesis 1, the story of the gospel, these experiences, this pleasure, this joy, we haven't even tasted what it's like to be in heaven. Like, do you believe that? And for seven, seven weeks, we want all of, our, all of us to be asking the question, what story are you living? What story are we living? And so let's close this morning by asking the question, what's, what is the operating story for your life? What story are you living? Why are you making the decisions that you're doing? What are the most important assumptions that you have about life? Why do you spend your money the way that you do? Why does your calendar look the way Or where do you think you're going? How does your story end? Or better yet, how do you want your story to end? And that's the real question, right? How, how do you want your story to end? Because if, if, you, if you only live once, if that's, that's your story, that story ends in death. Where everything that once gave you pleasure is slowly taken and removed from you. Where everything that gave you meaning in life is slowly taken from you, and then finally, once suffering finds you, death. Death removes all meaning and scope. But that's not how the Genesis 1 story ends. The gospel story ends not by us having our meaning taken from us, but by having our meaning given back to us. That in the gospel story, all our tears, all our griefs, all our sadness, those things are things that God takes from us. He takes off of our hands, and he gives us back meaning and gladness and joy. And so if you're in a place where this morning you're saying, I can't lean into the goodness of this world. I'm suffering. It's hard. Life is is bad, then Revelation 21, the end of our story, speaks to this in-between we live in between Genesis 1 and Revelation, the end of our story. And what the end of our story says is that everything you lose, everything that, that, that is removed from you and causes you tears, grief, and sadness in this life is given back to you. They hear these words from Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is among men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall be there mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things that have passed away have passed away. Don't you want that to be true for you? And in the gospel, it is true. It's true. Why our tears, our grief, and our sadness, our pain will one day be gone from our life. And the reason that, that, that can be true for you and me, because the God who was in the beginning, in Genesis 1, sent his own son to experience tears and grief and sadness and finally death itself. That Jesus, the son of God, who made a world full of pleasure and goodness, entered into this world not to experience pleasure and goodness, but to endure a cross and to be willing to let death and suffering and a cross become a part of his own story so that, that he could once again become a part of our story. That he let death take everything from him so that death wouldn't have to take everything from you and from me. Now what story are you living? In the beginning, God made heaven and earth. May we step into that story this morning. God, we thank you that there is a hope for the end of our story, that hope for where we are headed. And yeah, God, before that can mean anything, we have to step into a world and see a world that you have made and built around us. And so would you show us that this morning? 
tomorrow as we watch this clip, would you open our eyes and also just see a moon and a sun to see, to see your kingdom? Help us as we, as we interact with others and have conversations. Help us not just to see people, but to see people made in your image, who bear the mark of the kingdom. And help us above all, God, to believe that in the midst of suffering and pain and death, that God, we do not live in vain. We are meant for each other, and we will live into it as we trust you as our Savior to save us from death. God, you alone can save us. On our own, we are sinners destined for an end that is hard and difficult, but God, with you, we are destined for life. So help us to rely on that as we trust in Jesus.